Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I keep saying that every Sunday. It just feels good in here all the time. And I love what we are nurturing in this house. Times of prayer. This house is devoted to being a place where he likes to come and hang out. So when he comes, that's all we need. Because he's got everything we need. He is everything we need. And um, so my husband is a little under the weather today. And um, he's feeling a lot better. Sore throat is gone. He'll be good in a couple of days. He'll be back Wednesday night. But all of my kids are at Disney World with their aunt. My husband is homesick. And I'm here with you. So I'm excited about that. Um, I, uh, yeah. If, if um, Edward, could you give me just a touch more in this wedge? I'm not using my in-ears. Um, David and I are so excited about Dwell Marriage Conference this Friday night and Saturday morning. Um, our creative team, we've been planning some super fun things um, for those of us uh, that are going to be here learning more about uh, godly marriage, just, you know, how to live with each other, how to honor one another, how to love one another. <laughs> and um, it's going to be such a great time. Friday night, we've got um, a little date night vibe going on after, the, um, after we watch the simulcast and receive the teaching. We're going to have some live... Uh, music and a little bit of food and um, it's going to be a beautiful time. So um, Matt and Renee have just um, have just done such a beautiful job of putting this together and our creative team. So we've got a little, a very short video to show you from some of our couples right here at Dwell Church. We, um, we asked them a few questions about marriage and this question I think was, where was your first kiss? Super cute. So Valentine's Day is tomorrow. So even if you don't have a Valentine, you are loved. Jesus is your Valentine. I love it. Yes. Um, so I hope you feel super loved by uh, your friends and family if you don't have a spouse. But this is super cute. So you all ready to show it? Okay. Let's see. I'm going to move on. That was probably in the year of Chicken Express. (laughs) Yes. Can you tell we love chicken? Legit. Um, Maybe that apartment that I lived in with Joe out on the balcony. Maybe. That's the one I remember. So maybe that was the first one. I don't know. Yeah. At her parents' house. Yeah. Yeah, in their in their office, <laughs> in their working office. So fun. I remember me and David's first kiss. It was pretty. Wasn't that eventful? It was sweet. <laughs> 
Babe, I know you're watching. You were so honoring and respectful of, of me, and so it was just very sweet. And um, anyway, he's watching today. Everybody say, hey, Pastor David. <clears throat> okay, we have been in this series on prayer. Man, I just don't want it to be over. It has been so good, and we know that prayer is a pillar of this house. And so while we may move on to um, another series, we're actually next uh, we're going to be speaking on a, a, a prophetic people. We've been talk, teaching on a praying people, um, and then we're going to talk about a prophetic people and then a presence people. Um, but this has been so beautiful, and I the word I'm going to share with you today, I've really been marinating on um, since we began this series, just some, I was diving into some uh, teaching, and, and um, I've just gleaned so much. So here's what I've learned. If something helps me, it's going to help other people. Um, none of us have arrived um, uh, to the, you know, the pinnacle of revelation. And so, um, so I just want to share this with you today. And I don't know if you're aware that Dwell Church has a podcast. Um, so all of the messages you've been hearing on prayer are available at the Dwell Church podcast. I was kind of going back this week and, and just listening um, to some of the teaching that's, uh, that's happened. It is so powerful. So I encourage you. If you've missed any of the messages, you can go back and listen. And of course, you can watch on our YouTube channel. And um, I'm wearing sneakers today because it is Super Bowl Sunday. So I'm aware of that. You're going to get out in plenty of time for your parties. Um, <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Okay, so I'm going to talk today about the prayer that gets answered. It's a tall order. The prayer that gets answered. Um, so we really can't talk about the prayer that gets answered without talking about faith. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of dive into talking about faith a little bit first, and then we're going to go to our key scripture for today, which is the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and 13. So I'm going to get there in a minute, but first we're going to talk about faith. We can't even approach God without faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we can't even come to him unless we believe that he exists. E.M. Bounds, uh, you've heard us mention E.M. Bounds a few times during this series. Highly recommend uh, the book on prayer by Ian Bounds. I'm, I'm going to use a couple of his quotes about prayer and faith, okay? He said, prayer throws faith on God. Only God can move mountains, but faith and prayer move God. He said, faith is kept alive by prayer. Faith that creates powerful praying is the faith that centers itself on a powerful person. Faith in Christ's ability to do and to do greatly is the faith that prays greatly. Prayer is absolutely dependent on faith. It has virtually no existence apart from it and accomplishes nothing unless it is faith's inseparable companion. Faith moves prayer to work. I love this. Faith clears the way to the mercy seat. Mm. 
It gives assurance, first of all, that there is a mercy seat and that the high priest waits there for us to come with our prayers. Faith opens the way for prayer to approach God, but it does more. Faith accompanies prayer with every step she takes. It is her inseparable companion. When requests are made to God, faith turns the asking into obtaining. So how do we step out in faith? You know, we've all heard, probably many of us who have been in church for a while, and in the circles probably a lot of us have been in, we've heard so much, so much teaching on faith. Um, but I, I want to say this. Faith is not a mental assent in that if I just say something enough times, and I believe in the power of declaration, but but faith is not just if I just believe it enough, then it's going to happen. It's much deeper than that. How do we step out in faith? Step one is we start with God, not us. We start with his sovereignty and what he is able to do. We start with his goodness. We start with God's will and desire for his kingdom to be expanded in the earth. Acknowledging God's sovereignty brings me to my knees to say, you are God and I am man. And what pleases you pleases me. So we start with God, not us. Step two, we determine to obey. Somebody say determine to obey. Faith is obedience and obedience is faith. Faith is not saying something enough times until I believe it and making some mental assent. Faith is obedience. Disobedience releases unbelief in my life. Obedience releases faith. How do we increase our faith? Man, we obey. Obedience releases faith. Even though we may feel like we have unbelief at times, when we step out in obedience, we are proving that at a deeper level, we have faith. Don't mistake your wavering emotions for unbelief. There will always be a measure of doubt and fear in us, but the Holy Spirit is there to empower us to step out anyway. He just needs our willingness to obey. You cannot obey God without experiencing an increase in your faith because obedience releases faith. And I, you know, that's one of the things um, I love about worship and coming to him. Uh, a couple weeks ago at the end of the service, and we were just having a beautiful time in the presence. And I just, I felt led to just pray to break off disappointment um, over some of us. And, um, you know, the enemy tries to get a foothold in our lives of unbelief. And, and oftentimes that comes through disappointment of maybe we were praying for something specific. We didn't see the answer like we, like, like we wanted it to come. And so there is nothing like obedience to break off disappointment. There is nothing like worship to crush disappointment. That's what I love because when I come to him rightly, the way he 
tells me to come to him. You know, we don't come to him just any way we want, right? We come to him a living sacrifice. When I come to him in worship, I can remember back um, several years ago when our our youngest son uh, was diagnosed with autism. He was four years old. And um, man, I, I, for a couple of years, really grieved over that. And um, I was disappointed because my idea of what I thought his life would look like I, had, I was grieving that. And so, of course, God is a God of miracles. And so, and so I believe that our son is going to be completely healed and we see the progress along the way. But during that time is when I found my worship was not just, yes, sitting at the feet adoring Jesus. But as I do that, my worship is actually a weapon against the enemy. And nothing confuses the enemy more than in the midst of disappointment that we stand and we say, God, you are great. God, you are bigger than anything I'm facing. You are worthy. And no matter what mountain is staring me in the face, I lift you up because I know that you are greater. And as we do that, it actually releases faith in our life. And it crushes disappointment. Mm. So step one is we start with God, not us. Step two is we determine to obey. Step three, stepping out in faith, is we leave the results to him. (laughs) Only God can save. Only God can heal. But if we don't obey, then he won't have the opportunity to do what only he can do. Our success in the journey of faith is not measured by results. I'm going to say that again because I think I know some of us need to hear it again. Our success in the journey of faith is not measured by results, but by our obedience. So I did a little more study on faith and I found out what is the biblical meaning of faith. Faith in the Old Testament is defined by the Hebrew word aman, A-M-A-N. And the root meaning of aman is reliability, firmness, or trustworthiness. I hope you don't get bored with this little word study, but here we go. In Hebrew, there isn't a noun for faith, But the noun form develops into two words, the first of which is truth, which means that upon which we can ultimately rely and count upon. Truth is constant and unchanging. Truth is what lies at the foundation of all reality. So when we take this root meaning, reliability, firmness, or trustworthiness, And when we turn it into a verb, it means to believe or to have faith. But the sense of it is that you consider God to be reliable or firm. So the emphasis of faith isn't on me or my action, but the emphasis is on the object of my faith, which is God. (laughs) To have faith is to consider God as reliable and firm, trustworthy and solid. 
And as a result, I am placing my trust and security on him. And that is the most solid and firm thing I can do because God himself is the very bedrock of all reality. So faith is a decision to rest my life on him. There's no safer place. Faith is far more than a mental ascent. I'll say it again. Faith is actually the decision of the whole person, mind, will, and emotions. To take our lives and place them on a foundation which we believe is reliable, unchanging, and true on God himself. Faith is the readiness to give up anything that hinders our being able to build on this foundation. Faith always positions itself on the granite platform of the word of God. So here are a few questions we can ask ourselves and we can examine our hearts. Is our faith growing or declining as the years go by? Does our faith stand strong and firm as sin abounds and the love of many grows cold? Does our faith keep its hold as religion becomes a mere formality and worldliness becomes victorious all around us? Does our faith keep its hold? Jesus asked a question in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. He said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We believe that he will, and it is our job to see to it that the lamp of faith is trimmed and burning in our hearts until he comes. Okay, so now we're going to dive into our key scripture for today. Now that we all are working on the same definition of what faith is, okay? Um, you can go ahead and put John chapter 14, verse 13 up. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So I, I want to set... Um, I want to explain uh, in the in the book of John. John is the only gospel that has this discourse uh, that Jesus had with his disciples. This is in John chapters fourteen through sixteen. There's three chapters that are so beautiful. And as I was reading them this week, my heart was so moved. I was, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he is preparing them for a world in which he will no longer be physically present. They've been walking with him for three years. I, I encourage you this week to go and read John chapters four through 16. It is so, so moving. So Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and the goal of this conversation is to prepare them for a world in which he would no longer be physically present. These three chapters are where Jesus tells the disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. These are the chapters in which Jesus tells his disciples to abide in him. He says that he is the vine, his father is the vine dresser. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. In these three beautiful chapters, Jesus tells his disciples that they will be hated by the world. If the world persecuted him, then the world would persecute them. 
But Jesus tells them in the last verse of John chapter 16 that he has overcome the world. Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's in these three chapters that Jesus tells the disciples, oh, I love this, that although he is going away, he will not leave them as orphans. Mm. But he promised to send the comforter, the helper, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them he would be powerfully represented by the Holy Spirit, so powerfully, in fact, that he told them, greater works will you do after the Holy Spirit has come. John chapters 14 through 16, so beautiful. So in those chapters, Jesus actually tells us six times, six times that God will give us what we ask in his name. So this is not just an afterthought. This is very important. The asking is our part. The doing is his part. The enemy will try to persuade us that we have to do all sorts of things in order for the kingdom of God to come in our lives. He wants to get us going in so many directions that by getting us involved in all these things, he can divert our attention away from the power of prayer. We can fall into this as individuals in our walk with the Lord, and churches can fall into this. Let's try this program. Let's do this. Let's do that. And we can get so wrapped uh, wrapped up in all these things that no one is ever even actually praying. Of course, God does command that we do some things. We are to witness to the lost, care for the poor, shepherd the sheep, cast out demons, and heal the sick. But we could strategize and plan and hold meetings all day long. But if we are not praying, we are wasting our time. If we are not praying, we are wasting our time. Prayer is what releases the power of God into the things that we do for God. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is what releases the power of God into the things that we do for God. Prayer also reveals that a lot of what we're doing isn't even what God has asked us to do at all. As I was studying this week, I, I heard about, I heard this story, a, a true story. Um, and you can actually Google this and look it up. But in the 1990s, there was a Chinese apostolic leader who was released from prison. And he came to the U.S. to tour some of America's greatest churches. <laughs> you know where this is going. Someone asked him what do you think of the church in America? And he replied, it's amazing how much you've been able to do without God. Without prayer, we may accomplish a lot, but very little of it will be what we were created for. 
In and of ourselves, we cannot accomplish anything for God. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we may have the best intentions, but we will get the worst results. We live in an extremely action-oriented culture that pushes us into a frenzy of activity. We feel it every day, don't we? And if we're not doing whatever we're wrapped up in the frenzy of activity, we're looking at what other people are doing and we're comparing ourselves and thinking, we're not doing enough. We live in an action-oriented culture that pushes us into a frenzy of activity without ever asking God if we're doing what he wants us to do. So prayer is the single most important thing we can do if we want to see the kingdom of God come in our lives and in the earth. I heard this story um, that so powerfully illustrates this. Um, And I wanted to share it with you. Um, There was an evangelist, this was several years ago, that was um, coming to help this particular church in an outreach, a youth outreach they were doing. And um, so he, he came to town and the pastor of the church said, we really want to promote this event. You know, I, I would love for you to go door to door in the community and share what we're doing uh, with this youth outreach. And let's invite people in the community to, to come to this event. And so the evangelist uh, decided he was going to spend a few days in prayer before he began going door to door. And so, you know, after a couple of days of prayer, the pastor was like, Man, come on, you're not doing anything. (laughs) And um, so finally, after a few days of prayer, he felt direction from the Holy Spirit to go to this particular home and knock on this one particular door. And so he did, and and a a lady answered the door, and he said, you know, I'm I'm so-and-so, and and I'm representing this church, and we just want to reach out to our community. I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything that uh, you need prayer for today. It wasn't anything weird. He just offered to, to pray for her or for any, any prayer needs she may have. And she, so she said, well, as a matter of fact, my teenage son is very ill and um, I would like it if you would pray for him. These people weren't believers. And um, so this evangelist went in, into the, their home and prayed for this teenage son and he was instantly healed And so he began to share, hey, we're doing this youth outreach. This kid was popular. He invites all of his friends. And so so God did powerful things at this youth outreach, all because someone decided to wait on the Lord and prayer. Then God comes in behind and gives direction and opens a door. Did you know God opens doors? (laughs) I love that. I love that. Our greatest task is not to do, but to ask. We think we need to be out there doing things, but Jesus said, no, your greatest, most strategic task is not to do, but to ask. That even rhymes. That's real easy to remember. Your greatest, most strategic task is not to do, but to ask. Our job is to ask. God's job is to accomplish what we ask him to do. What we are supposed to be doing is often found out as we ask God in prayer and then his power comes in behind it and he accomplishes it. Okay, so back to our scripture. We're going to break this down. John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, 
this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So I'm going to break this down phrase by phrase. And um, every time you hear the scripture, I believe you're, I'm hoping you're going to remember this because it's, it's powerful. Whatever. We're going to start with the first word. Somebody say whatever. whatever. Prayer is a whatever activity. Meaning there is nothing outside the scope of prayer. Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So prayer is a whatever activity. There's nothing off limits. Nothing too big, nothing too small. So I, I love this scripture in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word keep here is like a military garrison around you. The peace of God is like an impregnable wall that comes around you in the midst of everything that life throws against you. The peace of God is the most priceless possession in the universe. And we know this from the times when we've lost his peace. Can I get a witness? We are miserable without the peace of God. And we can't get the peace of God any other way but through praying. We can't get the peace of God by taking a self-care day. And I'm all for self-care days. We can't get the peace of God, uh, guys, by escaping to your man cave and watching the football game. We can't get the peace of God by going on an expensive vacation. The only way to get the peace of God is to pray. If prayer is a whatever activity, then our asking will never stop. When Paul says pray without ceasing, he doesn't mean that the only thing we should ever do is pray, but he means that prayer must be an integral, integral part of our daily lives. So you might only have a minute to pray. Just pray. I almost titled this message, Pray, Just Do It. But... Um, I am wearing my Nikes today. Um, when a child asks his parents for something, he doesn't compose a 45-minute speech. <laughs> he simply asks. We think we have to, like, earn something in prayer. We have to come with all these flowery words and... No, just ask. I have another quote from Ian e. Bounds. He said... The simplicity of prayer and its childlike elements conform a great obstacle to true praying. He said, intellect gets in the way of the heart. Only the childlike spirit is the spirit of prayer. And it is no easy task to make the man a child again. In song, in poetry, in memory, he may wish himself a child again. But in prayer, he must be a child again in reality. Just as he was at his mother's knee. Free from guile or craft. Sweet, intense, direct, 
trustful with no shade of doubt, no temper to be denied. He must have a desire that burns and consumes, that can only be voiced by a cry. It is not easy work to have this childlike spirit of prayer. So we've established that prayer is a whatever activity. There's nothing too big, nothing too small for God. We're supposed to come like a child to him with our needs. Okay, moving on in the scripture. You see it up there? Yes. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask, say that with me. Whatever you ask. When Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, he said, we don't have to have a lot of words. Just ask. To ask is critical, and it is our part of the equation. The doing is God's part. God isn't as concerned about us asking for the wrong things. We can get so wrapped up in that. He's more concerned about us doing the wrong things. It is far better for him to correct us in our asking instead of having to clean up the consequences of our disobeying. In the process of our asking, God draws us closer to himself. That's what prayer does. We, we, become, we, we, we learn the heart of God through relationship, through, through prayer, through communion with him. In the process of our asking, God draws us closer to himself. And even if he doesn't answer our request in the way we thought it would look like, he answers the cry of our heart, which is to draw near to him. Jesus always required a person to ask. When Jesus healed the blind beggar Bartimaeus at the side of the road, it was obvious what the man needed. But Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus was drawing out the request from the man's heart. We cannot underestimate the power of our asking. Okay, let's get back to our scripture. Whatever you ask in my name. Whatever you ask in my name. To be in someone's name means to come under their ownership or authority. We say things like the house is in his name, the deed is in her name. That means that person has ownership. If we come to Jesus in his name, that means we come under his authority doesn't mean that we just use his name however we want to, to get what we want. No, it means we come under his authority. It means we submit to his will and come under his authority. God is only obligated to answer prayers that are according to his will. Okay, I'm going to say it again. God is only obligated to answer prayers that are according to his will. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. 
So to ask in Jesus' name means to ask as, though, uh, uh, as those who are under his ownership. To be under his ownership means to be aligned with his will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We come under your ownership, Jesus. God is only obligated to perform his will. Okay, back to our scripture. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. God, did did you know this? God does things. Like he's really, really, really good at doing things. heard the story about the great uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, There was a period of time when Lewis was a professor at Oxford University. And um, they say that he would begin his lecturing in the hallway outside the classroom. Whoever was in the hall, he'd start lecturing there. And then he'd actually walk into the the, the room. He was already into his talk by the time he walked into the room. God walks into the universe doing things. When he introduces himself to us in the beginning in Genesis, he is already doing things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is how he introduces himself to us. He was creating. So we don't have to worry about God not doing things. He can do it. Way better than we could ever accomplish something. God is the one who does. He's got the doing covered. I said this earlier. I'm going to say it again. God opens doors. In the book of Revelation, Jesus had a message. You you remember, we went through the book of Revelation all last year. And and Jesus had, uh, there were the letters, the seven letters to the seven churches. And the message that Jesus had for the church of Philadelphia in response to their prayer and faithful seeking, his message was not, okay, develop a plan to reach your city for God. That was not his message. No, in response to their prayer and faithful seeking, Jesus said, I have placed before you an open door. God does things. God opens doors. Much like the example of God opening that one door for the evangelist, the story I told you. How much easier is it to go through the one open door that Jesus has opened than trying to knock on a hundred doors and open them ourselves? That's how we got this building. You know, David and I have heard stories of, of pastors going through such you know, just tumultuous season of, of raising funds for a building or, you know, buying land, building, and, but finding a place. We know this is, we don't own this place, but God opened a door. God opened a door. We didn't go trying to beat down doors. God opened this door and he's going to do the same thing as we continue praying and seeking him for 
the property that we're going to own. God opens doors. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So when our request comes in line with his will, God will do what we ask of him in prayer. And the last phrase of this scripture, John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God is not invested in our success. God is invested in his glory. We must never lose sight of the one ultimate goal for every Christian, and that is for God to be glorified in our lives. That is the goal of all prayer. Is this going to bring glory to God? Everything else in our lives tends to boil down to just being about us, doesn't it? As fallen men and women, we tend to build our lives around ourselves. But the Christian life is about God and the will of God, the desires of God, the purposes of God, and the glory of God. I love this song. I've been wanting to do it. We haven't done it here yet. But it says, all is for your glory. All is for your name. Straight, taken straight from scripture. God is not invested in our success. I know that's not a popular message. He is invested in his glory. There is another practical way to look at this. Do we want our prayers answered? The only way to guarantee answers from God is to pray with the will of God and the glory of God in mind. God's not invested in our success. He's invested in his glory. From a human point of view, that sounds selfish. Is God a narcissist? But God is not like us. God is glorified when we become like him. Becoming like him is the greatest blessing we could ever gain for ourselves and the world around us. When the purity, holiness, and goodness of who he is becomes manifest in us, that is the greatest win-win in the universe. And that is how his kingdom is expanded in the earth. It comes through us. Sometimes I think we... I know I have envisioned it like, God, let your kingdom come. And I see it as this outside thing that's coming. And one day he, Jesus is going to return and he is, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and, and his kingdom will be established in the earth. But during the, the church age, during this time, his kingdom comes through us, through our obedience, through us laying down our lives and saying, may you be glorified in my life. 
May your kingdom come through my life, in my life, and in the earth. So we have unpacked John chapter 14 and 13. Let's just say it together. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So as I mentioned before, John was, was, John's gospel is the only gospel that has this, um, what's called the upper room discourse Jesus had with his disciples. But we're going to look at another scripture as I begin to close. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close because we have Super Bowl parties to get to. I have a husband to go tend to. <laughs> Babe, how you feeling? Um, yeah, you can come on up and see. So 60 years after John wrote his gospel, he wrote these words in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. He said, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask Anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Sixty years after Jesus had that conversation with his disciples, John was remembering what Jesus said all those years later as he wrote this in 1 John. John was remembering Jesus' words, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John was a very old man at this point when he wrote 1 John in the book of Revelation. But can you imagine being with Jesus And hearing those words, and he told them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus' words stayed with John. All those years later, this was a life lesson for John. Between that night when Jesus spoke those words to his disciples and 60 years later when John wrote 1 John chapter 5, these verses, John lived an entire lifetime of trial and adventure and challenges and accomplishments in which he must have tested over and over again the truth of what Jesus said that night. And John found out that it worked. (laughs) John found out that it worked and it will work for us too. So Jesus today We thank you for your word. 
Your word is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It brings life to us. And we thank you that you told us that we could come to you with anything, any need. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too big. And we are so grateful that we can come to you in your name, under, under, under your authority, under your authority, submitted completely to you. And we have the promise that you will do whatever we ask in your name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So today, we, just as we sang today, God, we lay our lives on the altar. And we submit to your leadership. We submit to your lordship. We trust you because you are reliable. You are a firm foundation. You are consistent. You are steadfast. We can rely on you. And we build our lives on you. Jesus, the cornerstone. Jesus, the rock. God, show us Show us your heart. Continue to reveal to us what to ask. Correct us in our asking. And above all, may you be glorified, Jesus. May Jesus get his full reward in our lives. When the world looks at us, may they see you, Jesus. Lift it up. Be lifted up in our lives. Be lifted up. Be glorified in this house. Show us your ways. We love you with everything that's in us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.